Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the tree in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. No, you will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. And so she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew they were naked so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze and they hid from the Lord among him, among the trees of the garden. So the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And then he asked, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man replied, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. So the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal. You will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. This is God's word. Hope delayed makes the heart sick, but desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Hope delayed makes the heart sick, but desire fulfilled is a tree of life. In the midst of one of the darkest chapters of modern history, the Holocaust, a man named Viktor Frankl, a psychiatrist and a prisoner in the concentration camps, witnessed and later wrote about a profound discovery that he made while in the concentration camps. Amidst the unspeakable horrors around him, he observed something remarkable, hope, hope. He discovered that it was hope and the search for meaning in life or meaning to this life and even to suffering that often determined who survived and who did not survive. Imagine, if you will, the grim reality of the concentration camps, the despair, the suffering, and the seemingly endless nights. Yet in this place where hope seemed lost, Frankel noticed that those who had found meaning in their suffering and clung to a vision of the future, whether it be reuniting with a loved one that they were parted from or completing some unfinished work that they had in their life, 
those who had this vision for the future, found meaning in the suffering, managed to survive against all odds. Frankel himself clinged to the hope of seeing his wife again and dreaming of lecturing about the psychological lessons learned from the camp experience. And so he found the strength to endure. The horrors of the concentration camps are but one example of a long tale of evil's exploits and humanity's fall that all began in Genesis chapter 3. But what is equally interesting is that nested right there in the story of the fall of humankind, a hope and a promise are placed right there at the beginning. This tragedy of cosmic proportions will not be the final word. This serpent or dragon or shadowy figure, however you see him in the garden, who successfully lured Adam and Eve to abandon the glory of being in perfect communion with their creator, he will not ultimately prevail because God has made a promise and planted a seed of hope. Sin has spiraled humanity into darkness and has turned humankind against one another. Each one is fighting for his own godness, battling and destroying and even killing his neighbor to achieve his pursuits. But the advent of hope, the advent of hope is the reality that God was unwilling to consign his creation over to this condition forever. No, from the beginning, in his perfect wisdom and knowledge, God had a plan to redeem and save what is rightfully his. The basis for any true, lasting hope would have to be in the character of who God is, not in the character of humanity. Because the story of the Bible is one of hope in who God is and what he has promised he will do. And so we begin our Advent journey this year. We're going to take a few minutes to explore this hope through the Bible. And we'll start there with verse 14, which says, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal. You will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. God talking to this serpent who had deceived humanity and says that there will be a hostility or an enmity between the serpent and the woman, between her offspring and the serpent's offspring. So what is this saying right here in Genesis 3? This is saying that from this point forward, there will be two paths to walk. Two paths to walk. Woman made in the image of God and made for faithful obedience and communion represents humanity as it was intended to live in the wisdom and fear of the Lord. She failed to do that in being tempted by the serpent. And the serpent is the epitome of evil and the rejection of God's wisdom. And this will be the second path. And from this point forward, humanity will have a choice Will they follow the serpent's temptation to look away from knowledge and fear of God or will they trust in God and lean not on their own understanding? 
Will they choose to live in a way that honors the creator or will they exchange their glory and live for created things? The rest of the Old Testament will answer these questions. And the answer is some will at times trust and obey God only to turn away from him and trust in their own ways. Over and over again, we see this play out. Over and over again, we see the character of God in the midst of human failure. He will be faithful to his promise, no matter humanity's failures. He will remain faithful to who he is and not dependent on how humans respond. A quick survey of the Old Testament shows this narrative working itself out. Will evil win? Will, will God's promises fail? Will God remain faithful? Well, what happens right after Adam and Eve? What's our first glimpse to see? Will humanity walk in obedience to God or will humanity follow the path or become like the offspring of the serpent? Cain and Abel. Genesis chapter four. Almost immediately after the fall, we see Cain, son of Adam and Eve, aligning himself with the, ser- the serpent's offspring, taking on the characteristics of the serpent and killing his brother Abel. Because Abel did what was right in before the Lord and Cain did not. And so right away, we're immediately faced with the question, is evil actually prevailing Yet God's plan continues, and we see even in the midst of that situation, Seth is born. This, uh, the son, Seth, and, and through Seth's line, the godly lineage will persevere. Noah in the flood, Genesis 6 through 9. Humanity's wickedness has grown to epic proportions. Humanity has followed the way of the serpent. But Noah's faith marks the preservation of God's plan, even in the midst of that wickedness, and it culminates in a flood that represents both judgment and a new beginning for humanity. God, faithful to move the plan forward, even in the midst of human wickedness. And while we see a glimpse of faith in Noah, what happens right afterward? Noah Noah is confront, we're confronted with the reality that Noah too is tempted to choose the way of the serpent and to fail. And this continues. Abraham, his call to follow God, and he follows God into this land, but almost immediately a famine hits. And what does he do? He goes to Egypt, and Egypt becomes this, 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 this name, this nation synonymous with the serpent and evil. And even in the midst of Abraham's response to all of that, as he goes down to Egypt, and, and uh, truthfully, he... <laughs> He pawns off his wife to to the Pharaoh. Even in the midst of that, God's faithful to his promise to prosper Abraham. And Abraham actually comes away from that circumstance with all sorts of treasures, silver and gold and livestock. And it leaves you scratching your head. Clearly, this is not contingent upon the character of humanity but the character of God to move his plan forward. 
the barrenness of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Abraham is that lineage of God, God, godly man who by faith is walking with God and yet there's going to be an end to his line. Sarah's barren. God makes a way. But then Isaac is to be sacrificed. God makes a way. God continues to show himself faithful to his covenant and to his promise. And so time passes, much time passes, and we find the Israelites, the offspring of Abraham, the Israelites are now suffering under slavery in Egypt. And they're suffering under a Pharaoh who, by all accounts, represents the way of the serpent. And yet through Exodus, God dramatically delivers his people leading them out of slavery, not for their namesake, but for his namesake, for who he is, according to his power and his faithfulness, God delivers the people. And what are the people? Are the people full of faith and worship? At times, they're a mixed bag of faith and failure. We catch a glimpse of something great in the story in 1 Samuel 17 when David confronts a giant named Goliath. And David, who full of faith, runs out to the battlefield and despises anyone who would stand against the Lord and his armies. And by great faith, runs out to the battlefield and slays the giant. And we think maybe this guy has got it together. A guy who will walk in faith, walk in obedience, walk according to the ways of the Lord. Here is our salvation. And true, he did deliver for the people against their enemies so that the people might have freedom. But what happened to David? Failure. He chose the way of the serpent with Bathsheba. Counting of the the troops And over again, he fails to meet his covenant with God, to remain faithful to God, and instead walks in the ways of the serpent. The two ways, will you walk in obedient faithfulness to God, or will you walk in opposition to God? Will you walk as the serpent enticed? Will you live as if you are your own God and you answer only to yourself? And the Bible over and over and over again says... That humanity has failed, but God continues to be faithful. And then we see in the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, that the prophets speak of times that the Israel has gone astray and they're oppressed. But it's, and it seems like the upper hand is given to the serpent's offspring and, and evil. And, and yet the prophecies always come back to reaffirm that God has a plan and he's making a way and he's preparing to do something. He's going to do something in history. He's going to do something. And therefore, people hold hope. Hold hope. All the way to the Babylonian captivity. And you see the people of Israel taken into captivity. And the question is, did evil win? Did evil prevail? It is God's word that faithful men and women throughout the Old Testament put their hope in over and over again. God reaffirming his promise and reaffirming his commitment. 
They trusted God and they took him at his word, even though at times it seemed evil had prevailed. Evil had won the day. But the Old Testament, the Old Testament ends without an answer. Y'all have gotten there, right? Flipping, where's the answer? Where's the fulfillment? Nothing. At the end of the Old Testament, we have all the promises, but we don't have the fulfillment yet. 400 years between the final words of the Old Testament and the first events of the New Testament. 400 years was, was all hope lost. What was the first thing that God said to the serpent or the final thing that God said to the serpent in Genesis chapter three, verse 15? Speaking of the offspring of the woman, he said, and he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Most theologians call this the proto-gospel. This is, in your Bible, Genesis chapter three, verse 15, the first good news after the fall. The first gospel glimpse you get right there in Genesis chapter three, verse 15. What does it say? It says, evil will, will certainly get a strike in on the heel of the offspring of the woman, but in the end, he will strike or crush the head of the serpent. Evil will not ultimately win. It says that God, through the offspring of the woman, will crush the head of the serpent or the dragon. But, but our survey, our quick survey we did of the Old Testament revealed that no offspring of the woman had completely and totally, without fail, chosen to obey faithfully and honor God, come what may. There was no human to choose from who would accomplish this. Every single one of them had given in to selfishness, had given in to greed, had given in to fear, had given in to temptation. Every single one had taken what seemed pleasing and right in their own eyes at some point. Every single one had chosen at one point or another to walk the path of evil. They were not serpent head crushers. They were divided. Every single one of them. And so what we have is we're left with a hope and we're left with a promise unfulfilled. We have clear evidence that it will remain unfulfilled if humankind alone is responsible for bringing it about. We can't do it. We couldn't do it. Failure after failure. Even our superheroes failed. But hope remained. And here's why. Because the form, the shape, the outline of a deliverer had steadily one line upon the next, been drawn on the pages of the Old Testament. One who would deliver God's people from evil by first resisting the forces of evil. One who would be a substitute bearing the sins of mankind. One who would appear in Bethlehem, a man, but also God with us. He would do the will of God faithfully. 
He would faithfully obey, even setting aside himself and enduring great suffering and death. He would be the fulfillment of all of God's promises. He would be the ultimate serpent head crusher. He was the offspring that God promised in Genesis chapter 15, but he is painted on all the pages of the Old Testament. Everywhere you look, you can find a sketch, one line of him, who he was, until the full vision of who is this person, who is this deliverer, who is this Messiah. And so, when a baby, Jesus, is presented in the temple shortly after his birth, in Luke chapter two, there's a man there and he's waiting, and he's been waiting. He's been waiting for the one, the one that he saw sketched out on the pages of the Old Testament, the one that he saw over and over again as there was hope and there was a potential promise, maybe someone who was rising up, a human who was coming to be, and maybe a hero and they failed. He could see, no, behind all of that, there is one. If it hasn't been fulfilled yet, if it, it hasn't been completed yet, then he must still be coming. And this man is waiting in the temple courts, waiting for, for the fulfillment of God's promises. 400 years of silence could not silence this man's hope. Luke chapter two, verse 25 through 32 says, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout and he looked forward to Israel's consolation and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple when the parents brought the, in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God and said, now master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. Everywhere mankind failed, Jesus prevailed. Jesus is hope fulfilled. Jesus is the hope of everyone who has wondered, wondered if there is more to life. Jesus is the hope of everyone who has prayed for the end of evil. Jesus is the hope of everyone who has cried themselves to sleep, broken and humiliated and humbled by their own sin and their own failures. Jesus is the hope of anyone who has suffered disease and sickness and hoped for deliverance. Jesus is the hope of everyone who has reached out for God, for in Christ, God came to us, hand reaching out for us. 